Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Good morning, church, and happy Easter. Welcome to our house. So glad that you are here with us today. What an incredible day to gather in this place and have the chance to worship Jesus together. Today is Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's an incredible day, and and I'm really glad you're here. But it's also special for another reason. Uh, Here at Riverside, today is also Baptism Sunday. And I'm really excited that at the end of our time together today, We'll get to witness new life. We'll get to witness uh, some of you who are ready to confess Jesus as Lord, to take that next step of faith in your faith journey. Step into these waters behind me and, and, and declare your faith, that you believe Jesus is who he says he is, that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm excited to see that today, to see, to see some of you step into those waters and to give your life to the one who gave his life for you. It's going to be an incredible day. But before we begin, I have to tell you about two things. I need to tell you about something that happened last week and something that, that's going to happen next week. If you were here last week, then you, you know part of this. Last week was the Sunday. We have this Sunday every year. It was the Sunday that we do a special day of giving for, uh, for Christian works. Christian works is near and dear to the heart of this church. It, it does so much good in, in this community in Dallas and DFW uh, for families, for, for children, for, uh, for so many different uh, needs that arise. And so we're so grateful that, that it has some roots here at Riverside and that we get to participate every year in a special way. So last year we had a day of giving and we do this every year. Typically on this day you give maybe $6,000, $8,000, It's always an incredible thing the way this church responds and gives in that moment. But last week, God just moved in a special way. You want to know how much was given last Sunday? Last Sunday, this church gave $22,111.40. Yeah. Wow. Man. I mean, we do. We talk about it all the time about, about this church being a people of uncommon generosity. But, but you are. I mean, that is just an incredible demonstration. And, and the reason we emphasize it is just what Jason said. It's because our Father in heaven, he is the God of uncommon generosity. And it's just unbelievable to see the way uh, he continues to move in, in, in our hearts in this church. So thank you for doing that. I know more money will continue to come in, but what an unbelievable gift. And that's going to do so much good for so many people. And I'm so proud and so happy about that. So glad for that. Thank you for that. Uh, next week... Next week, I'm glad you're here because I want to go ahead and and invite you back. Next week, we begin a new series that we're calling Legacy Makers. Uh, Each year after Easter, we sort of launch a series that's really aimed at our families, but it's really for all of us. And this year, we want to ask the question in in these weeks after Easter, leading up to summer, what kind of legacy are you leaving? Here's what I believe. I believe believe your, your life matters. I believe your life matters to God. I believe your life matters to the people around you. And I believe your legacy matters. And I think maybe one of the most important questions you'll ever have to answer is this question, what kind of legacy did you leave? What kind of legacy did you leave? Was it about your name or was it about 
another name. So next week, we're going to start that. It's going to be an incredible day. I hope you'll come back and join us as we start that series for our families together. It's really for all of us, though. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Today, though, we want to sort of land the plane on this series we've been in for the last few weeks that we've called Seeing Jesus. And we believe that you can see Jesus. We believe that he is alive, that he's not uh, it's not some picture of, of a man on a, on a museum in some art gallery that you go sit on a bench and stare at. We believe he's alive. We believe he is resurrected. We believe that you can see him and that his, the desire of his heart is to, is to open your eyes so you can see his face and follow his lead. And on this day, maybe above every other day, it is a great reminder that we can see Jesus because he is risen and he is alive. But I think before we even get there, we have to just pause and pump the brakes and we have to ask this question, don't we? Because I know in the house today, we've got people that if we're honest, we're all over the map on what we believe about this man, Jesus. There's no denying he was a historical figure. There's no denying that a man named Jesus was crucified some 2,000 years ago outside the city of Jerusalem. That's a historical documented fact. But the question today for you truly is, what do you believe. What do you believe? I don't know if you're like me, but this past week, the story caught my attention. I was walking out of my office and I was rounding the corner and, and my office is close to Grayson's office. Grayson's our student minister. And so I come around the corner and Grayson looks at me and says, hey, did you, did you see what happened? Now, if you know me at all, then you know that if you've ever asked me that question, 99.9% of the time, the answer is no, because I don't. I'm probably the least perceptive person you know. We can start there. But I, I don't check social media. I, I, I mean, I, I'm on it a little bit, but not a lot. Uh, I don't check the news a whole lot. I don't catch all the latest headlines. My, my phone, it doesn't buzz, beep, ding, or ring unless there's a text message or a phone call. Otherwise, it, it stays pretty calm. You know, so I don't, I don't know what's going on. So I need people to tell me. So don't ever assume I know what's going on with you. Just come tell me, and then I'll know. So I was like, no, what, what's going on? He said... The church in France, the Notre Dame Cathedral, it's on fire. Do you see this? So sure enough, I go back to my screen and look it up, and of course it is all over social media. It's all over the news. There's live footage rolling, and you can see the smoke going up and the flames, and it's like, whoa. And if you're anything like me, when you saw that, your heart just began to sink. This church is what, 875 years old, give or take? All this church history literally going up in flames before our eyes. We see the spire fall as the flames and the smoke continues to rise. Of course, you know this, but immediately, you know, first responders are called, firefighters arrive on the scene. They form a human chain, and they're beginning to, to take out as much as they can from the church because the church itself is historic. I mean, there's so much church history that is literally burning to the ground in this moment, but they don't want everything to be lost. And so they form a human chain and they're, 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 they're carrying out cherished artwork, statues, whatever they can get their hands on. They say, I don't know if this is true. Some of you have been there. You can tell me if this is true. They say that in this church is the actual crown of thorns that Jesus wore the day he died. And they're able to save that from the flames. So much is being lost. A couple days later, they were able to get the fires out. And people start walking in the church. And if you're like me, you, you want to know. You want to see the pictures. You want to see the video. How bad was the damage? 
when all was lost and what was able to be saved. And one of the first pictures I saw, maybe you saw it too, was this picture. Someone walked in and took this picture as the smoke is still smoldering. They took this photo and there it is right in the middle of the Notre Dame Cathedral. The cross still stood. Of course, as soon as this picture hit, it went viral. Why? I think you know why. Because we love the cross. We love the cross. Those of us who are believers in Jesus, those of us who are all in with Jesus, we love the cross. And when we see the cross, we don't just see an instrument of death. What we see when we see the cross is we see love. We see the greatest love the world has ever known. It is an extravagant love. When we see the cross, we see love. But even for those of you who may be here today and you're not sure what to believe about Jesus, my guess is you probably, the, the cross still has meaning for you. If you were to go through a box of old things that were you know, brought down from grandma's attic, you might be tempted to throw out old picture frames and dated decorations. But my guess is you come across a cross, you see a cross, you're not going to throw that away. Because the cross has meaning. Celebrities wear it around their necks. Some of you today have jewelry with, with, with cross that you're wearing on it. Our cars, we have bumper stickers, and there's the cross. If you're driving down the interstate and you come up behind an 18-wheeler that has not had a car wash and who knows when and is covered in dirt, chances are someone has taken their finger, and what have they done? They've written John 3.16, and they've drawn what? A cross. We love the cross. The cross has meaning in our culture and in our world. We love the cross. And if you grew up going to church like I did, my guess is you attended a church where they sang about the cross every single Sunday. And that may be why you came back today. Because the cross still has meaning. You remember this song? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross Sing it with me. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the My trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. We love the cross. We cherished the cross. But the cross wasn't the end of the story. It was just the beginning. At 9 a.m. that Friday morning, they took Jesus to that hill and they laid him on that cross. And Roman soldiers drove nails through his hands and his feet. And they stood him up and they dropped him in that hole in the ground. And they crucified him. By noon that day, 
it was like God turned the lights out. The world went dark. Like dark, dark. Can't see your hand in front of your face. Dark. By three o'clock, Jesus had said his last words. He breathed his last breath. And he hung his head. And he died. But the cross wasn't the end of the story. It was just the beginning. A man named Joseph, we know he was from this town called Arimathea. He went to Pilate, the Roman governor, and he asked for permission to take down the body of Jesus. Pilate had to get confirmation first that Jesus was dead, and once he did, he gave that permission. So Joseph, along with another man by the name of Nicodemus, they risked their wealth, their possessions, their position, their family, everything to go to the hill, to that cross that day and take down the body of Jesus, wrap it in a linen cloth and lay it in a nearby tomb in a garden. And by the time the sun set that Friday, Jesus was dead. His body had been buried and a large stone had been rolled in front of that grave. But the tomb wasn't the end of the story. It was just the beginning. Saturday morning came. The disciples, the followers, the closest friends of Jesus are gathered together. And and to be honest, there's just a flurry of emotions. On the one hand, they're, they're grieving and they're mourning the loss of their friend. For the last three years, they've spent their lives following this man named Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah, but, but truthfully, he was, he was so much more. And you think, how could he be more than that? He was their friend, and he was dead. But not just that. They all knew. They had gathered there that day, but, but the day before, they were all scattered. They had abandoned him. I mean, they had denied him. They had abandoned him. They had left him. Not a one of them was there for them, except for maybe one And now they're all in this room together, and not only are they going through the emotions of having abandoned their friend, not only are they going through the emotions of grieving the loss of a friend, but they're also afraid. Would the same religious leaders who had arrested Jesus arrest them? Would the same Roman soldiers who had nailed Jesus to a cross crucify them? They're terrified. They're afraid. But their fear wasn't the end of the story. It was just the beginning. Sunday morning came. Two of the women who were there with him, they went to the tomb. They wanted to go to the tomb to finish the funeral. Uh, By the time that Jesus had died on Friday and Nicodemus and Joseph had gotten his body down from the cross, they didn't have time to finish the funeral preparations. They didn't have time to, to put the spices on the body and to do all the things that you would do for someone you loved who had died. The sun was going down, and that Friday it was going to be Sabbath. And not only Sabbath, it was Passover. So when the sun went down, they had to be done no matter what. They got Jesus buried just in time, but they didn't have enough time to get everything done. So these two ladies loved him so much. They were going to go back to the tomb to finish what they started on Friday now that it was Sunday, now that the sun had risen, now that Sabbath was over, they were headed back to the tomb. But they had questions because there were Roman soldiers guarding that tomb so no one would steal the body, so no one could fake a resurrection. They had questions. 
Because there was a large stone that had been placed in front of that tomb. It had been rolled down a trough. So, so how are they going to move the stone? How are the soldiers going to allow them to, to have access to the body? They had questions, but get this, and maybe this is the one thing you need to hear if you don't hear anything else today. They didn't let their questions keep them from Jesus. They were not going to let their questions keep them from going to see Jesus that day. But when they got to the tomb, they didn't find any soldiers. And the stone had been rolled away. What they found was an angel who told them. They were the first to know. They were the first to see. They were the first to, 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 to hold this truth in their hands that Jesus is not dead. He is not here. He is what? Say it with me, church. He is risen. He is risen. Go back and tell the disciples, go tell everyone else that Jesus is alive. And over the next 40 days, Jesus would be seen by more than 500 people. They would see the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. They would see him and they would believe. But his resurrection wasn't the end of the story. It was just the beginning. He told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait because there they would receive what he called the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now it's 50 days after after that Sunday, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after the very first Easter, 10 days after his resurrection. They called it Pentecost because it was 50 days after Passover. Passover is the day when they celebrated the day when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of darkness, into life, out of bondage, into into freedom. Now, 50 days later, it's Pentecost, and this is the day they celebrate when the people of God received the word of God. When Moses climbed up Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments. This is the day they celebrate the day when, when, when God gave them his holy word, the Torah. So they're gathered there in that place. It's been 10 days since Jesus ascended back to heaven. Some of you, you know what it's like to wait. You felt this before. It's hard to wait. Some of you today, you're waiting. You're waiting on test results. You're waiting for a call back from the doctor. You're waiting for a call from a family member. You're waiting for something. You know what it's like to wait. It's hard to wait. Day one goes by, nothing happens. Day three goes by, it's been a week. Now it's been 10 days. They're waiting in Jerusalem. For what? They're not exactly sure what. But on day 10, they're in Jerusalem, and then they hear the sound of wind. It's like a mighty rushing wind, except there's no wind. Like nothing's moving, nothing's blowing, but they hear it. They hear the wind. They can't feel the wind or see the wind, but they hear the wind, and then they see fire appearing above their heads. The fire is burning, but it's not burning anything up. Sound familiar? And all of a sudden, that's when they receive this thing called the Holy Spirit. Everyone heard the sound. Everyone came to see. And what they found, of course, remember, the city is full. full. Jerusalem is still filled with people who have traveled from all over the world to this place to celebrate Passover, to celebrate Pentecost. And they're all here. And all of a sudden, they hear the sound. They come to see, what is all the commotion? What is going on? And that's when they hear this. They hear these men from Galilee. They can see there's plain. They're all from Galilee. But yet they're 
They're telling the story of Jesus in a language I understand. It's where I've come from. And now I hear my own dialect, my own language. From the very first moment the story was shared, it was shared in, 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 for all people, for all time, in every language, for every nation, for every tribe. They're all there. And they don't know how this is happening, but it's happening. But the Holy Spirit wasn't the end of the story. It was just the beginning. Peter realizes that all of a sudden all the attention is on them and and what they're able to do. And he knows that's not where the attention belongs. So Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, closest disciples, he steps forward and he puts the attention back where the attention belongs. He puts it on Jesus. And today I want you to hear what Peter says in this moment when the crowd gathers around and they're hearing, they're hearing for the very first time, some of them, exactly what has just happened over the last 50 days. Peter steps forward and he says these words in Acts 2, verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Everyone in the city knew what went down 50 days ago. Everyone had heard what Jesus could do and what he had done. Some of them had seen it with their own eyes. They were there the day when he fed the 5,000 with just a couple of pieces of bread and a few fish. They were there the day. Some of them saw him heal the blind or make the lame walk. And you know, like I know, that Jesus came as healer. Why? So that he could prove that he had the power to be our Savior. God publicly endorsed Jesus. Everything that he did, every miracle he performed was proof that he was, in fact, from God. Verse 23, but God knew what would happen. And get this, it was his prearranged plan that was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Don't make any mistake about it. Everything that just happened, it happened because it was the divine plan and will and purpose of God. But you also need to know this. You nailed him to the cross. You killed Jesus that Friday. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Somebody say amen. Death could not keep him in his grip. You killed him that Friday, but God raised him up on Sunday. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him, and to the other apostles, brothers, What should we do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you realize that the one you've been looking for, the one you've been waiting for, came? For 400 years, there's been no word from God, no prophet from God, no vision from God. Now a man comes, and it's obvious that he is from God, but you couldn't see him. You crucified him. What do you do when you realize it was your sin? that crucified Jesus. What do we do now? Brothers, what do we do? Peter replied, each of you, 
must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. You would think, like when you get in trouble for doing something at home, you know, your kids, they get way worse punishment than this, you know. You left the milk out, that's like, you know, four weeks of detention. No iPhone, you're off of PlayStation for a year. You know, that's what we think. You killed the Son of God, what do we do now? Here's your list. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn towards God. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized in his name. He'll forgive all your sins. He'll wash them all away. And oh, by the way, you too will receive this gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do you do when you realize that it was your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross? The good news is that your sin isn't the end of the story. Your sin is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. And Peter says, when you come to that realization, here's your response. Repent. Turn away from that way of life and turn towards God's way of life. It's time to live different. And watch this in verse 41. Those who believed, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about three thousand in all but that wasn't the end of the story that was just the beginning fast forward two thousand years and now you and i are sitting in this room telling the same story that's been told on this day for two thousand years and the question before us is the same question that was before them and it's this question what do you believe What do you believe? Here's what I believe. I believe that more often than not, we don't think about eternity. More often than not, what happens is we're so focused on today and where we're about to go to lunch and what's going to happen tonight and what we have to do tomorrow. How are we going to make it to the next 30 days? How do we get to the next paycheck? How do we we make it to the next holiday? What's coming up around the corner? What are we going to do with the kids next weekend? We spend so much time focused on the now, we forget about thinking about the eternal. The funny thing is, is that the perspective we should live from is the perspective of the eternal. We should live with the end in mind. I I love the way David Platt says this. He says this, everything looks very different when your eyes are fixed, not just on today, but on what will matter 10 trillion years from now. So let me ask you this question. Where will you be 10 trillion years from now? Do you know? I know where I'll be. And it's not because I'm that good, just so you know. I'm not. Like you, I am fully aware of my flaws. Like you, I am fully aware of the sin in my heart and the sin of my life. I I know where I'm going to be 10 trillion years from now, not because of anything I've done or how good I am or I am not. I know where I'm going to be 10 trillion years from now because of what Jesus has done. You see, I I think it's the same problem we've always had. We think that sin makes us bad and Jesus wants to make us better. But that's not the problem. The problem is that sin makes us dead. And we're not talking about physical death here because that's not really what we're talking about at all. 
death in spiritual terms, death in biblical terms, death always means separation. And you know this. What does sin do? Sin, no matter if you're a believer in Jesus or not, this is true. Sin separates you from people. Sin breaks relationships. That's what sin does. Sin separates us from each other, and sin separates us from God. That's death. That's the separation we're talking about. Jesus came to forgive our sin so that he could restore our relationships with each other and our relationship with God. Jesus came to give us life, to resurrect us. You see, your sin isn't the end of the story. And your story doesn't have to end in death. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you believe he is who he says he is. You confess that he is the Lord and the Savior of us all. And you step into these waters of baptism. He washes away your sin. He gives you his spirit and puts it inside of you. And he does that because he loves you. He loves you and he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they would have eternal life. And it all happens when we make this confession. Yes, I believe. You see, here's the amazing thing. You want to see Jesus? Believe Jesus. You see, in our world, the way, we, the way we think is we think seeing is believing. But in God's economy, believing is seeing. And when you believe he is who he says he is, he will open your eyes so you can see his face and follow his lead. And you will see. You will see his love for you. You will see how far he came for you. You will see there is nothing he won't do for you. You'll see the cross that he died on for you. You'll see the grave that he rose up from because of you. You will see that there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. You will see. You will see his great love for you when you believe in him. Today, what I want more than anything is for us to see Jesus. But if we're going to see him, it starts with believing. It starts with these words. Yes, yes, I believe. Church, if you would, let's let's stand. And here's the amazing thing. When you say the words, yes, I believe, guess what? That's not the end of the story. That's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's the beginning of the story of God's great love for you played out in your life and played out in the life of this church. Today is Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. And for us, it's Baptism Sunday. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And I want to put this on the table once again. I know today we're going to have at least two people that are going to be baptized and confess their faith in Jesus as Lord. But if there's anyone else today that wants to make that confession and wants to be baptized, you need to know today is the day. And what a great day. What an incredible day to walk into these waters, to be buried with Christ, and to be resurrected with Jesus on Easter Sunday. It's a day you will never forget. I can tell you this. It's a decision you will never regret, too. There might be lots of decisions that you would have wished you wouldn't have done that. This isn't one of them. (laughs) You'll never, ever regret 
making this decision to confess Jesus as Lord, to be baptized in his name, and to be raised to new life with him. So I'm going to stand right over here. We don't always do this, but today I'm going to be right here. My friend Jason, one of our ministers, is going to be right over here. And if today is your day to say, yes, I believe, what I want to do is I want to invite you just to come find one of us up front, and we'll help you. Because we want to see you see Jesus. And you know where you can see him? You can see him in the water. You can see him when you walk with him through that water. And you walk with him through death, into life, new life, resurrected life. Today, if it's on your heart to make that confession, man, come find one of us. For the rest of us, let's live in the glory of this truth that this is what we believe. Jesus Christ is enough, and it is our desire and our decision to follow him all of our days. Let's sing. Pre-